Hello and welcome to another Nerds Who Haunted Themselves podcast, Archive Edition. Uh, the episode you're going to hear today is an old episode that was recorded back in 2013 before Skyfall came out. It's called Beards on Bond. It was myself when I had a beard and uh, the chin beard himself, Barnaby Eaton Jones, talking about the thing we love, which is James Bond. Um, it was done as a pilot for a potential podcast that didn't quite happen, but we're hopefully going to be bringing more episodes to you as part of Nerds Who Haunted Themselves. So if you like Bond, you got that. If you don't, um, download them anyway and skip them. Um, but they're funny. There's stuff in there. Um, so yeah, that's what this one is. I just wanted to give you a brief introduction, just in case you're wondering what the hell's going on with this out of time episode. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's Beards on Bond. If you like it and you'd like to see more, comment on our uh, Facebook page and get an update's coming in now. And um, yeah, that's it. Um, obviously, True Believers happening 6th of February 2016. Buy your tickets now from our website, oktruebelievers.com. If you want a free taste of a mini version of True Believers, then come along to Smoky Joe's on the tw- Sunday, the 29th of November. It's free to get in. We've got about eight tables of people selling comics, uh, merchandise, their own created stuff. Uh, we'll be there too if you want to talk to us about True Believery stuff or just nerdy stuff in general, uh, like The Flash or Supergirl or Arrow or The Walking Dead or any of that sort of stuff. Come along and have a chat with us about it. But anyway, for now, here it is from Back From The Past 2013, uh, Beards On Bond. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to the first Beards On Bond podcast. My name is Stuart Moraine, Bond fan since 1996, and I'm joined on this Bond bank holiday weekend by my fellow Bond cohort. Hello, my name is Barnaby Ethan-Jones, uh, which sounds posher than I am, and uh, I've been a Bond fan for um, a long time. We are all seeking help, and this is where you can find that help. Before we get into the Bond thing, we'd just like to send our thoughts and well wishes to the friends and family of the actor Richard Griffiths, who died yesterday at the time of recording this. Obviously, there is a Bond connection in that he was in the Golden the Secret Life of Ian Fleming story. We'd just like to send our best wishes to a well-loved character actor. Now it's time to get down to Bond. I, I think the first thing to sort of get into then is mm. where it began for us with Bond. So right. what was your first experience of Bond? When did you become a fan? That's a good, that's a, that is a good start. I was taken to the cinema to watch A View to a Kill. My mother and my sister came as well, which is a great combination. And um, we went to watch A View to a Kill. And I thought Roger Moore was obviously the bee's knees. He was probably about 72 at the time. <laughs> but yes, that is brilliant. I, I want hair like that. I want hair that stands up of its own accord. And there's like a, a Beehive Barnet, but um, uh, yeah, so that, uh, what was that, 1985? So um, I probably knew about it before then, but that was the time I went to the cinema. And obviously, when you're watching a Bond film for the first time, that's, that's sort of your sort of legal date that you're a Bond fan, I think. I remember going to my uncle's and we'd rented out a view to a kill, so that must have been 98, uh, sorry, 86 when it came out wow. on video. And you were about six, probably. I was seven, yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that was a good guess. <laughs> so, so not far off. I remember that, and obviously, inspiration to us all that a man that old can get Tanya Roberts <laughs> but also a warning because he slept with Grace Jones as well yeah that's uh, that <laughs> which if, if you want to know more about that you should read his um, autobiography you should but he doesn't really say much does he no but he's, he's very he's very nice about it he's, he's very nice he does sort of cover it with the uh, I was raised <laughs> if you can't find anything nice to say <laughs> don't say anything yes yeah and then I used to go to my grandparents house in the school holidays, and they used to put on a Bond film that they taped off the telly, so I saw a lot of Sean Connery and early Roger Moore ones. Have you watched Roger Moore first? Did you, when you watched Sean Connery, did you retro your view of who was the best Bond? Because I was quite young, I think I followed it as the character rather than that's the actor. Good. That's very good. 
an early Roger Moore is relatively similar to that is true. Sean Connery before it started to go off on the tangent. I think Spy Who Loved Me was sort of the last great Roger Moore one. Yes. The others have got charm, but they're more Roger Moore films that happen to be James Bond <laughs> rather than... <laughs> And, you know, that played to his strength. Obviously, 89 was the last Bond film until GoldenEye, so there was nothing in my teenage years, and yes. Bond had sort of become a bit pastiche amongst school kids. When you watched, after you watched the Bond films, did you go back and explore the books, or had you read them? I didn't read the books until I was a lot older. Um, about 96, I got back into Bond. Might have been earlier, actually. Might have been 95. Was, yeah, probably 95. It was pre-GoldenEye. Um, they showed License to Kill on telly, which I'd never seen any of the Timothy Dalton ones. Uh. Because for some reason my dad has a problem with Timothy Dalton. I don't know whether Timothy Dalton owes my dad money or something. <laughs> Does he not like Welsh people? Is that but, <laughs> but there was some issue. I think it's because, I, I don't know, I think everybody was rooting for Pierce Brosnan and then they went for Timothy Dalton. So Although my dad doesn't like Pierce Brosnan either, so I don't get what the problem was. <laughs> he just didn't like that era of Bond films, obviously. He wasn't, he wasn't happy for But And I watched Licence to Kill and it was a complete removal for me from what I remembered about Bond. It still had all the classic elements there. It appealed to a 16-year-old yes. pissy kid. <laughs> <laughs> Who's moody and wants to go out on his own. And <laughs> yeah, and wear sort of blazers and chinos. And so, Indeed. Yeah, that's important. I think I did actually wear blazers and chinos when I was 16. That's not good. I, I went through a phase of wearing chinos, but that was more Sam Neill in Jurassic Park. <laughs> chinos and a blue shirt. Sam Neill, who was also a one-time contender for Bond. He was. Have you, uh, also, yeah. have you watched the audition for Sam Neill? I have. It's on the Living Daylights DVD. Yeah, because I also thought Jason Isaacs would have been a good Bond as well. I also have a strange man love on Jason Isaacs. <laughs> And if he's listening, please um, write yes. in and take uh, Stuart on a date. Are we allowed to introduce Claire or not? We, we can introduce producer Claire. Because I'm going to ask her a question. Hello. Mm. What, what, what was your first memory of Bond? What What was the time where you were thought, oh... Goldeneye. Goldeneye. It was on the TV when I was a kid. Right. Loved the film, watched it to death, recorded it on my VHS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are that old. We are that old. <laughs> well, I am very old, but you're not so old. I remember Betamax. So that's I remember Betamax. Oh, damn it. Okay. Can't beat you on the old national. Superman 2 taped off the telly on Betamax. I remember having to keep my finger on the rewind button for about four hours just to rewind about half an hour because it had broken. What was the first Bond film you bought? Did you just watch them on telly or did you go yes. out and buy them on video? Or? I watched them on telly and I also, as you do, uh, if you have OCD like we obviously both have, are in collecting things, um, I did one of those terrible uh, you send off. Uh, the whole video collection, and it comes every, oh. every month or whatever. I don't know what it was, probably every six months or something. Um, and so I had the entire collection on video and just finished, I think, when DVD started. So um, went, oh, damn, I've got them all on video and now I need to upgrade. So cunningly, I sold the whole video collection to a friend who obviously didn't have a DVD player. Yeah, I, I, I bought it on video and watched it a lot. At that age where you want to be James Bond, yeah. even though you look in the mirror and go, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I mean, I considered joining the Navy just so I could be more like Bond, but then it occurred to me that I'd still be like me. I, but in the Navy... I still couldn't walk into a bar and have some exotic Russian agent walk up to me, and I'd be in the Navy. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a fine choice if you're the right kind of person. But it is. Yeah. Alas, I'm not destined to be on a ship. I think the first one I bought on... Actually, I know, the first one I bought on video was... Licence to Kill, when they reissued them all. Can I just say that Claire's yawning at this point? <laughs> Lovely. This is a good start. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I thought that was quite important to say what was going on. Yeah, when they reissued them all in 96 to coincide with GoldenEye coming out, they did them in two waves, I think. Right. 
and I bought Licence to Kill was the first one I bought with no intention of buying the others I just bought Licence to Kill because I really liked it and then they had that really good bond trader on the beginning with all the others yeah. and all the nostalgia flowed back in and I started using all my wages to buy bond film did it start off with special edition and then go to ultimate edition I kept my videos because I just couldn't quite part with them and now I can't bring myself to throw them in the skip in the... <laughs> well, they take up so much at the room. tip so they, they're all living in my shit they probably don't play but I've got all up to the world is not enough I never bought right. another day on video because I, I bought it on that. DVD so Oh, I respect Although that. I was tempted once when I saw it for 50p second hand, but just no, to break the collection. But <laughs> Not even 50p could tempt me to buy down another day. <laughs> and then I upgraded to the DVDs when they did them, where the spine made up the 007 logo. So I got all of those, but I didn't buy them in time to send off for the storyboard cards. You I like the send fact off. that you did the storyboard card shape, uh, yes. on, which was brilliant, which you can't see on a podcast. Podcast, visual medium. But I was in, it was important <laughs> for me to know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, well, how many editions have there been? Because there is there's like, been there's many. been several on well several repackages on DVD now. I bought the Ultimate Editions when they came out. I got the Atachi oh, briefcase, case. but I got that. And the annoying thing about that is all the slip cases on the inside. The glue's rubbish on it, so it's always coming unstuck, oh, right. which really bothers me. But again, I kept the other DVDs as well, just because I wanted to get rid of them. But I couldn't bring myself to part with that really cool double. Plus, I couldn't put the Attaching case on the shelf. So you have like about seven versions. I have about seven versions. I've got the videos, the DVDs twice, and then Blu-rays. Right. Which I've not bought Skyfall on DVD. I've sort of drawn the line at double dipping. There was a weird period when I was a teenager between 89 and 95 where there was no Bond. Yeah. An entire generation of children grew up without James Bond. And I was at that peak age where Bond should have been a major influence, but wasn't. Yeah, I found him anyway. I mean, he was retrospectively, but there's yes. nothing new to... I mean, I remember Living Daylights coming out at the cinema. No, I, Living Daylights was, was sort of a, a seminal influence because obviously I was young enough to be impressed by Roger Moore. But um, when Living Daylights came out, I basically wanted to be Timothy Dalton. I, I think, I, I can't remember how old I was, but I used to write book, uh, like uh, stories at school and things, and I'd, I'd illustrate them as well. I'd always write about me and the people I knew. I'd always illustrate myself as Timothy Dalton, which was a quite impressive feat, considering I look nothing like Timothy Dalton. Although I am trying to rock the Roger Moore hair at the moment, <laughs> so... Um... <laughs> But apart from that, hair is an important part. I've noticed in Bond, the longer you are Bond, the bigger your hair has to be. That is important, because it, or in Pierce Brosnan's I, case, Pierce Brosnan's he's gone go, backwards. It, it go down but up. Yeah, yeah that was impressive. Because he, he had that awful sort of mullet thing in Goldeneye, and the unshaved look. It wasn't as bad was, as uh, Sean Bean mullet, yeah. or as bad as Sean Bean's amazing cut glass accent with traces of Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, sorry, hair. That was, I, was just, I was connecting with Beards on Bond there. But, but at, at least but they have their own hair, unlike uh, Mr Connery towards yes. the end. He, he hated wigs, though, didn't he? He was quite happy to show people he was bold. Yeah, I can't remember how old I was when I found out Sean Connery was wearing a wig as James Bond, <laughs> and I was devastated. Yeah, that is true, because in Diamonds Are Forever, his wig is so good yeah. that I just, that's not a wig, that's, that's, that's his real hair. To be fair, his wigs have all been generally quite good, up yeah. to you only from October and onwards. And you only live twice is not a good wig. No, you only live no, twice is not a good like wig. It's like it's on sideways. And never say never again. <laughs> well, that's just so they could twist it for when he turns <laughs> Chinese. <laughs> That's true, so yeah, so he's got a proper fringe. Um, yeah, never say never again, that's a bad wig. But are we allowed to talk about that because it's unofficial? We, we can talk unofficial. I suppose we should talk about our favourite Bond actor. What's Claire's favourite Bond, I'm going to ask? 
It's going to be Pierce Brosnan. Is it? Or Daniel Craig. No, it's Pierce Brosnan. It's Pierce Brosnan. It's going to be because of the childhood nostalgia. Uh, what's your favourite, Jay? My favourite is Timothy Dalton. The theory is generally it's the first Bond you see. Yeah. Which he wasn't the first Bond I saw, but he was the first Bond that made me fall in love with the Bond films. Right. Again. Having read the books, I think he's the closest to the books. Right. Still, despite what everybody says about Daniel Craig. Yes. Well, he wasn't blonde, was it, for a start? So. No, but I always kind of imagined Bond in the books looking a bit like Daniel Craig, sort of an ugly pit bull sort of... Not to say Daniel Craig's ugly, but... In character. The kind of person that would walk into a room and you'd sort of be drawn to, but you don't know why, rather yes. than Piers Brosnan, who just looks sharp. <laughs> he does, rather, doesn't he? He's got a slick sort of look, and you can, it, it's not the best thing for a secret agent, I think. Have you... Have you uh, this is a, a massive tangent, but have you seen Taffin, which uh, Piers Brosnan is like a terrible Irish... I think he's a hitman. I think I have many years ago. That's just... You need to search um, and watch it. I'm just telling everybody to watch Taffin, because it is the most appalling film. There, there, was, there was a phase in about 95, 96 where you couldn't turn on BBC One on a Saturday night without it being some kind of Pierce Brosnan <laughs> film you'd never heard of. I still like Roger Moore, which is really sort of slightly embarrassing to admit, but I grew up with Roger Moore and I just think he is what he is and um, he's not Bond, he's, he's Roger Moore as James Bond. But I saw, I, I flirted with Sean Connery, which he wasn't happy about because he's a man's man. <laughs> I thought, no, he, we should like, I should like him because he's the original, but then he's not the original if you haven't seen him first. It, yeah, so, that's so, it, exactly. That and as there's no real sort of continuity between them, yeah. obviously you've got the overarching theme of Tracy and that's true, yeah. that sort of thing, but there's no, with the exception of Casino Royale into Quantum of Solace, there's no yeah. follow-on sort of thing. I'm sort of I was drawn between Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton, because that's, I suppose, the era where I, I was trying to be Bond. I don't know if that's I wasn't trying to be Bond, I wasn't trying to kill people and, um, <laughs> and go on secret missions. I was just thinking, yeah, I could play that when I was older. Yeah, I'm going to be an actor and play James Bond. I think I think every man at some point has looked in the mirror and done the Bond, James Bond thing. And potentially done the gun barrel walk as well. I taught my eldest son the gun barrel walk. I, I was going to be uh, ironic and teach him the Bob Sessions one. That just confused him, yes. Uh, that man there playing James Bond is not Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> what? And that's not his real hair either. <laughs> people, Some people might not know. You might need to explain that the reference. Up to Thunderball, it was Bob's, stuntman Bob Sessions doing the gun barrel walk as James Bond, thus making him the first person to appear on the cinema screen as James Bond. Wasn't Bob Holness the first person oh. ever to play James Bond, or have I got that completely wrong? I know he played him on, on radio, radio in yeah. South Africa, wasn't it? Was he the first part? I don't know, but that would be brilliant. Quite possibly, and then you had the American TV version of Casino Royale with yes. Jimmy Bond, which I own on video. It's horrible. <laughs> I saw it in MVC back in the day when I was collecting all the Bond stuff. The telling thing about the DVD of that was it was on the back it said who was the first James Bond and it listened and it had Pierce Brosnan and they'd spelled Pierce wrong. How do they spell it? P-E-A. Yes, P-E-S. It's, it's an interesting curiosity sort of thing like the Ian Fleming things. You recently watched Spy Maker, I believe. I did. It's actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's actually rather good. So if you can get... I don't think it's actually available. So I watched it from memory. And <laughs> <laughs> Jason Connery, obviously, who was the son of Sean Connery. So, hence why I'm assuming I, I, he got the part because he auditioned very well, but I'm assuming they wanted the cachet of having a Connery name in it. it, it but he's really like good. It, um, one with Sean Connery's brother in it. Yeah, what's that? Operation, like, um, Operation Kid. Kid Brother? <laughs> Let's make it obvious. Operation and Kid they, Brother. They just wanted to cash in on the Connery name, so yeah. much like Never Say Never Again did. Yes. <laughs> 
We should come to that uh, later today. Yeah, yeah. Well, you said about Goldeneye, which was the Goldeneye, Charles Dance one. Which had Richard Griffiths in, which ties that back in. Yes, but, um, I'm good at doing that. Um, I think, I mean, I think they were largely set over the same period, because it's all that secret period where he was working yeah. for the military during World War Two. Kirsten Scott Thomas, Scott Thomas, is, that's quite difficult to get on the credits, because that is actually how you say her name, but she was in the Spy Maker one. It's her sister in Goldeneye, the proper Bond Goldeneye film. Yes, yeah, there's another connection. Brilliant! I've just so, connected things. That's they're they're meant to be making more Ian Fleming-based films. One supposed development with James McAvoy is Ian Fleming. Wow, that's an interesting casting. That's Which a very could young. Be quite interesting. Why don't they make an old Ian Fleming film? On you know when he's pottering around the Caribbean. And I think there's an interesting documentary in the later Ian Fleming that does cover the whole, especially court the, battle with Kevin yeah. McClory. Which yeah. I suppose is a good time to sort of talk about everything or nothing. Really, the Bond documentary. Yes, I, I really like, and I, I'm addicted to watch, and I must. But it does leave me wanting more. I've always felt that they've never quite given you enough in Bond documentaries. They always leave yeah. you wanting that a little bit more, even on the Ultimate Editions. They're not allowed to say anything too negative, are they, really? I think that's their bit. No, and that's, that's fine, because I think that, that's not really a problem. It's just you skim over areas like the Timothy Dalton era. Yeah. quite an interesting time, yeah. just for the whole Pierce Brosnan bit, and then it going into Timothy Dalton, and then the legal problems after that as well. I think you could do a documentary on each sort of decade of Bond that would be really interesting, and the Battle for Bond, which is a very good book, it is. would also make a very good documentary, but again, it's doing it and getting people involved that are going to be happy to talk about, potentially. Pierce Brosnan has now downplayed his anger, because he was very angry when he got the push, but now he sort of he sort of is not so angry now. I just remember him being quite vitriolic in the first interviews after Bond, <laughs> but now he's, now he's quite mellow about it. Oh, well, yeah, it's fine. It's, it's a weird thing when a Bond... Because you're always thinking about the next Bond. As much as you hate to see the previous person go, <laughs> unless you absolutely detested them, which I've never detested any of the actors playing Bond, I must admit. There have been films I've not overly liked. Although, even a bad Bond film I quite enjoy. What is it, What is your worst Bond film? What, what would you say was a bad one? I think Diamonds Are Forever is probably my least favourite. Is it? Just because it should have been Roger Moore. Yes, it, it is Roger Moore's film, basically. The handling of Blofeld in it is completely against the interpretations that went before. I mean, Charles Grey's not menacing at all. <laughs> No, he's, he's like an old coward, isn't he? I don't really understand the Blofeld keeping a bikini-clad woman hanging around. Uh, they just kind of, he became a jokey sort of character. Donald Pleasance is probably the most associated with it. Telly Savalas in On A Majesty's Secret Service I thought was very good. He was very they, good. They never explained why he didn't recognise Bond. No, that's true. Well, because he changed, the actor changed, that's why. Well, he was supposed confused. to, wasn't it, that he'd had plastic surgery, wasn't yes, it? But that's right. they just abandoned that idea, which was probably for the best in the long run. Donald Pleasance has the most amazing reading of one line in and um, you only live twice. He said, when he's going to kill James Bond when he's on that monorail thing, yeah. he, um, he says, uh, it's a goodbye, Mr. Bond. Anybody else would just go, goodbye, Mr. Bond, or something like that, quite suave. And he just says, staccato, like, goodbye, Mr. Bond. Like that, just thinking, what are you doing? Surely the director would have said, no, hang on, what are you doing? Can you just do it like a bit more menacing? No, I'm, I'm going to staccato it. There, there is that whole thing of perhaps he was just a bit moody that Bond's blown up his base. Can't imagine those things are no, that's, cheap yeah. to knock together. But. George Lazenby, I love George Lazenby to the point of I, you said you had a man crush on Jason Isaacs I have one on George Lazenby just because I think he is the most attractive actor to play Bond and plus afterwards he just is brilliant with coming to the premiere fully bearded and with long hair <laughs> just because he was thinking you know I'm going to be that's, out that's a man who listened to some bad advice he did but that's sort of quite nah, I quite like that so I'd quite like to have done Bond once and then gone off the rails which but it would have been interesting to see where I mean obviously it's all speculation as to where it would have gone had Lazenby stayed would we have yeah. ever had Roger Moore probably 
necessarily not. Would he have continued the Connery-esque type films, whereas Time is a Forever actively sort of takes you into the sort of bloated 70s? I, I think he gets a bad rap. A lot of people say that he's a bad actor, and he's not a no. brilliant actor, but I thought he, was, he did the part very well in that film. He was exactly right for it. I yeah. don't think Connery could have done it, to be perfectly honest. You needed a certain vulnerability to it that never really comes across in Connery's Bond. I think he's very good. He's very good in it, George Lewis, for me, and um, sadly saddled with the, the one-off Bond tag. His autobiography will be quite interesting when it comes out. Yeah, um, it keeps saying not available yet on Amazon, <laughs> yes. which is most annoying because it's been not available for a long time. Yeah, he's, he's obviously um, decided to start writing it and then he's been given some advice and has gone off and grown a beard yeah. <laughs> and decided not to do it in the end. I mean, he certainly has the most interesting segment on the Everything or Nothing documentary where he talks about how he got the part and that. I always sort of questioned his, the fact that he, he stalked Cubby Broccoli. Did he, he sort of went in and got his haircuts in the same place as Sean Connery. Or, uh, that that, seems it, a the, bit... the thing that captures my imagination is the suit that Sean Connery didn't want was he just going round tailors on the off chance. <laughs> Have you got Sean Connery's leftovers? Yeah, or in the, in the late 60s, did Taylor's just ring random models up? We've got a suit that Sean Connery doesn't want. <laughs> I could be Bond. That's brilliant. I, I don't know. I imagine in the 60s, it was probably a lot easier to sort of walk into an audition like that. Well, there was sort of the hysteria. It's not like it is now. Celebrity doesn't seem to be held in such. I agree. They're, they're much, it was much um, sort of looked, looked up at rather than looked down upon. I think he was a good transition as well into Roger Moore. Yeah. It, it's unfortunate to a certain degree that they brought Connery back for the one instead of going straight into Roger yeah. Moore because I think he walks the balance of softening the character up ready for the Roger Moore take on it I what, I, the, like George Lazenby seems quite young and then suddenly jumps to Sean Connery at like 40 or whatever and then Roger Moore's 40 when he takes the part as well like the last sort of young Bond Roger think. Moore's the oldest today isn't he to have played yeah, yeah. how old's Daniel Craig now he's about 44 isn't he yeah he's into his 40s now do you think he'll equal any record or I don't know I don't think they want to keep him as round as long as they did with Roger Moore because it is very telling in A View to a Kill that Roger Moore is, I mean I still love Roger Moore. Yeah, Roger Moore's brilliant. As bad as it is for Roger Moore, I think they kept Lois Maxwell around too long, as much as I love Lois Maxwell. And, I mean, she worked with, if they'd have kept her into the Timothy Dalton era, <laughs> that, that would have been incredibly wrong. Yes. Although it would have given a new dynamic to the lusty money penny, one big bomb dynamic. They just kept her around too long, but she fitted with Roger Moore. She did fit with Roger Moore. Claire was just moving Pierce Brosnan then. We haven't we, actually got Pierce Brosnan here. We have a facsimile of Pierce Brosnan. We, we, we have a very shoddy piece of James Bond merchandise that I bought in 1997 to tie in with Tomorrow Never Dies that is a James Bond figure that doesn't move it's, it's sort of, it potentially looks... supposed to be Pierce Brosnan but I'm guessing they couldn't clear the likeness rights they've just gone for an amalgamation of every Bond actor to so... like, squash together and so that's what his face looks like so he's, he's very strange and they've sort of got him in a campy sort of pose it's probably my favourite shoddy piece of merchandise I've got it looks good when you first like go look at this it, it, like, it looks a brilliant figure but yes now that's my shoddy piece of Bond merchandise do you have a I have a shoddy piece of Bond merchandise I have well it's not shoddy it's just pointless I had a ball point pen which said golden eye on the casing not the pen just as the casing that it came in and I thought what's the point it, it just writes it doesn't do anything that you expect a Bond pen to do and uh, was, was it at least the Parker pen I think it was a Parker pen It was a, that's because I'm not very good at collecting stuff <laughs> I just keep the case um, but I've got also I don't, I've got it here for your eyes only an official souvenir brochure which at the time was one pound and it's really really bad it's just lots of photos and nothing else apart from Roger Moore saying hello I'm back <laughs> which is good that's nice of him and that's it it's not. It's just about three pages worth of a souvenir brochure I, I suppose well I mean we've touched on Lazenby we should probably talk about Connery first obviously we've done Lazenby yeah. so what are your feelings on Connery's Bond obviously he's the first but he wasn't our first but. see I, I have a, not a problem with, with Sean Connery because he even though he's like 80 he probably could still beat me up but um, 
he, I actually think he, and this sounds bizarre, he grew into his looks. I don't think he was a particular looker when he was in Doctor No and From Russia with Love. He actually looked better. Um, that's got nothing to do with his acting ability. Obviously, he's quite strange. In Doctor No, he's not, um, he seems, everybody says, oh yeah, no, he, ca- he comes and he's got the walk and everything and he's he's like a panther and he's like, I don't think he is. I think he, over the first three films, he grows into the character and he's not. He is obviously very self-confident, very hello, I'm Bond type of thing, but it's, I suppose that's the case of the films evolving as they went. Uh, I think for me, he peaks in Thunderball. If you're looking for a definitive Sean Connery as James Bond performance, yeah. regardless of whether you think Thunderball is a good film or not, I think that's where Connery peaks and is it becomes Bond and then it's sort of by you only live twice, he doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, that's kind of shows and Diamonds Are Forever, it's clear that he's just in it for the money to the point where the poster should have just been Sean Connery pointing at a sign saying, I'm in it for the money. <laughs> he does a, I thought it was quite a good deal that he made, um, he said, you have to pay me this much and also fund two other films because there's one other film he made is the most unbond film it's The Offence which is the, the grittiest blackest horrible police procedural film about I think it's about people preying on small girls it's weird you should try and watch it because it, it is the most amazing Sean Connery performance but it just like bashes Bond to the ground it's just it's better than the one where he wears the big red nappy <laughs> Zardoz. Zardoz, that's it. Yeah, no, that's a gr- that is that is frightening. I mean, you can't blame him for coming back, having all that money thrown at him, and yeah. United Arts is saying we will greenlight any two films you want to do. You kind of have to wonder whether he tried to test them, because I'd have come up with the most ridiculous sound in film. Yeah. I'm going to make a film that's all done with sock puppets. Uh, yeah, I think, weird, but he's he's the most comfortable as Bond in Diamonds Are Forever, because it, it's just a walk in the park. See, it's that's just... the most un-Bond one it is. find for him. Yeah, but, he's, but he just seems comfortable in there I think he, he was back again he's got it's. I think it's the I'm just in it for the money there's no it, he doesn't seem to have any artistic yeah. integrity towards the project the swagger of his wallet um, uh, yeah no, and the knowing that you know he's back to save the franchise yeah, that must be quite a, a weird thing to have on your shoulders mustn't it technically you're just being asked back because it'll make lots of money so why wouldn't you ask for loads of money, I suppose? I can understand why he fell out with Broccoli and Saltzman with regard to money. I think everybody at some point fell out with Broccoli and Saltzman over money. I, I find Sean Connery a mixed one. I really like him, but at times I kind of... Well, she wasn't led by his wallet. Yeah. Which is which, uh, she wasn't quite, didn't have quite so much integrity about things. And <laughs> that's the good thing about him as well, that he also quite blatantly says, uh, you know, I don't get paid enough. I, I need yeah. this. He's not shy about saying stuff in public, which is rather than sort of hiding behind closed doors, going, I want more money. He just is very, very brazen the open about it which is good because if you're doing a job I suppose then you won't be paid for it I think you're right Thunderball was was his peak although Thunderball's a mess of a film it's probably my favourite Connery one it's certainly not the best but I think it's my favourite one I'm going to be annoying so I quite like Diamonds Are Forever but that's probably because I quite like Roger Moore I'm imagining Roger Moore playing Sean Connery in Diamonds Are Forever I I always find it weird with Diamonds Are Forever that they made that a very Connery one than they did Live and Let Die a very Moore one than they did Live and Let Die with Roger Moore that's a very Connery (laughs) film that's very true yeah, that's true. Although it does have my one of my favourite bits in Bond, which you actually put in your review as well, the bit where he walks into the, <laughs> the Harlem bar, Harlem bar, but, which nobody's going to annoy me with, but Roger Moore. You could find somebody could get away with being so white. <laughs> in a Harlem bar I find that Roger Moore his voice sorry slight tangent is brilliant because whatever sentence you give him to say he starts at the very bottom of his register goes to the very top and in the last word of the sentence comes right down again I'd like a chicken and mushroom pie please they say that it starts there goes there and comes down again before we move on to Roger do you have a favourite non-Bond Connery non-Bond Connery I was a massive massive Sean Connery fan not because of Bond just because I just thought he was brilliant so um 
I quite like uh, The Man Who Would Be King, but it is a really good film, and he does show some good acting chops on it. He's a very good actor, obviously he doesn't change his accent in any way. Why should he? He's Sean Connery. <laughs> That's what you've paid for. Um, What's your favourite non-Bond? I like Last Crusade. I'm quite fond of Frisido, which isn't his best film, but I quite oh, enjoyed yeah. it. I really like Outland. Outland's good, isn't it? Overlooked. Again, it's not a classic Connery, but... No, but that's overlooked, I think. That's a and I do enjoy Hunt for Red October as well, but I pretty much watch anything with Sean Connery in it. <laughs> yeah. And enjoy it for having Sean Connery in it, but even League of Extraordinary Gentlemen I enjoyed because Sean Connery was in it. We should probably do our favourite non-Bond Lazenby, which should be quite short. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Emmanuel. Emmanuel, or the return of the man from Uncle, which he is in as, as James Bond. Well, he wasn't allowed to be called James no, he, Bond. He was JB. So he was JB in, in an Aston Martin. Or, or to Jason uh, Bourne. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is my favourite return of the man from Uncle. I, I think I'm going to have to go for his performance as the architect in Kentucky Fried Movie. I bought that on DVD ages ago and I still haven't watched it. It's, it's no. brilliant for his uh, I tell you this building isn't safe and he slams his fist on the table and the roof comes in. I think then, yeah, we should move on to Roger Moore. The obvious choice for Edward Cullen. <laughs> yes. We, we've touched on the whole Roger Moore thing a little bit in that he was Roger Moore as James Bond. That's the, the deceptive thing about Roger Moore, isn't it? That everybody sort of... Well, no. To be honest, I think he's created the legend that he can't act, and just keep going on about the fact which I think act. is shocking because yeah. to briefly go on the tangent of my favourite non-James Bond Roger Moore yeah. film which we're probably in agreement on is yeah. The Man Who Haunted Himself yeah which is a brilliant brilliant film and um, then Cannonball Run <laughs> yes <laughs> Because he parodies himself very well. It's a superb performance in that film as well. And you can kind of see why they'd want him to be Bond from watching that, and then his yeah. Bond is nothing like it. Yeah, his like, jump from Live and Let Die and possibly Man with the Golden Gun to Spy Who Loved Me is a massive sort of leap of his me copying Connery slightly, or being made to copy Connery. How much of that do you think was Saltzman? Because obviously... Spy Who Loved Me is the first one yeah, by Saltzman. I think you're right, because he obviously got on very well with Cubby Broccoli. Yeah. So, um, well, he obviously lost lots of poker hands playing. Because I think the big tell for how uncomfortable Roger Moore is in the role, apart from the fact is that he screws his eyes up every time he fires a gun, <laughs> <laughs> is the um, bit where he's slapping Maud Adams around in yeah, Man with yeah. the Golden Gun. He's very clearly not comfortable with yeah. it. And wasn't it Man with the Golden Gun didn't, didn't do as well? Profit-wise, so I think they were coming back with yeah. it has to be different and it has to be big and it has to be Roger Moore. Yeah, he's just that sort of light throwaway style. It's really difficult to put off, to be fair. And I think that although yeah. aficionados don't particularly like the fact that he's obviously way, way, way from the template of Fleming Bond, I think that that saved the franchise. I was going to say, I think that's exactly yeah. what it needed in the centres to go forward. I don't yeah. think it could have continued no. had Connery stayed or Lazenby stayed. There's a strange thing with Roger Moore. I don't know whether it's because he stayed in the role for as long as he did, but in Limelight die he looks too young for the role which is ironic because he's older than Connery was at yeah. the time Connery left but he's got a very fresh faced youthful yeah. look he ages incredibly fast yeah. those films, isn't it? And then he's, he's like the reverse of uh, Patrick Mnee that he's rendered with but Patrick Mnee just never seemed to age no, he just got, he a, just got a little whiter and a little wider yeah, but, which I think that was the biggest missed thing for me with A View to a Kill which it's the Bond film in which you just don't want to be friends with James Bond because you end up dead unless you're Tanya Roberts <laughs> his CIA pertinent person is uh, killed off again it comes yeah. with David Henderson as well in yeah. Living Let Die yeah. it really is a shame they didn't keep him on because yeah. that was the last appearance of Lighter until Living Daylight there was a good chemistry and if you've seen North Sea Hijack which is yeah. another Roger Moore film that I, and okay. kind of where I think his bond should have gone they should have acknowledged that he was aging that's a quite weird film as well actually. it is quite a weird yeah. film it's that 70s terrorist so what's your um, non-bond Dalton film that was quite a staccato I that. very much like him in Hot Fuzz he's which, really good in Hot Fuzz and I was thinking about it earlier I was very fond of him in The Rocketeer the ro yeah that, that would be mine I'm a big fan of the film The Rocketeer anyway it says something for an actor that you're kind of rooting for the Nazi a little bit <laughs> <laughs> 
Because he's Timothy Dalton, but he's got that whole Errol Flynn thing going on. Yeah. And was that made before or after Flash Gordon? Because it's sort of after so. it was after he was Bond. It was 1990, oh, yeah, I think. Was, so yeah. straight after. Or was it 91? I know I had the choice of seeing that or Edward Scissorhands at the cinema, and I chose to watch The Rocketeer because you know Scissorhands or a man with a rocket on his back. Going back to Roger Moore quickly, I always find that you remember Roger Moore films being a lot worse than they actually are. Yes. Even the bad ones, like Man with the Golden Gun, I still enjoy them a lot more. No, that's, and that's, uh, again, as, as we said before, it comes from Roger Moore constantly dissing himself <laughs> and his films. Lion in Winter, have you seen that? Uh, many years ago, I'm kind of put off by how young and strange he looks. Yeah, he does look young and strange, yeah. I just thought I'd throw there's, there's a thing where if you discover an actor like Al Pacino or Timothy Dalton or Sean Connery or anything at a certain age in their life, then you go back and watch performances when they were younger. What's it's like Pierce Brosnan in Remington Steel. I've never actually watched... I've only seen odd episodes of it right. but he just looks so young and but Remington Steele always struck me as uh, the poor man's moonlight interestingly with Timothy Dalton was that he was originally a contender for the role as far back as on a Majesty's Secret Service yeah he would have been way too young he would have been and he fortunately took himself out of the running how would you do that just by saying no oh, I think he just said that he was too young I think they approached him twice right. for on a Majesty's Secret Service and possibly for your eyes only is that about the time that Roger, yeah, Roger Moore was considering hanging it up I think he was considering hanging it up after every film wasn't he <laughs> I think so because I think he was always pushing for more money <laughs> yes because they were going to cast James Brolin weren't they until Roger Moore signed yeah. back off because again Dalton took himself out for being too young James Brolin would have been a, a weird choice I'm not sure about an American whether he does an English accent or not no that's the weird thing isn't it because Bond is quintessentially English not because he drinks cups of tea and stuff just because he is an English hero so it would be like casting Hugh Grant to play Captain America it's not something that he, he would although say Superman's English no? oh that's right yeah normally we've had bad guys and so now we've managed the ultimate good guy but to be fair when you've got Alan Rickman who does bad guys so well why wouldn't you go Brit yeah. and Timothy Dalton was largely bad guys yeah, or at least the person walking the grey line like Flash Gordon yeah. I hate you I know you're a good guy but I hate you <laughs> we, we should probably talk about how we sort of came to be and discovered our mutual love of uh, men in tuxedos yes men in tuxedos um, which is Claire <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing a tuxedo now we've dressed as Bond for this podcast <laughs> I've got like big high Roger Moore hair you've got the yeah, Timothy Dalton Dracula look going on and but we uh, will dress back down again for photos that may appear on Facebook I think I saw you in The Importance of Being Earnest through Mutual Friend I'm sorry about that Yeah, who was the Mutual Friend uh, it would be Leanne yeah The Importance of Being Earnest was, was a stage show yes that's so, right and then you're Rupert Everett <laughs> Yes, I was basically. <laughs> I think I just got in touch with you on Facebook afterwards, and probably yes. Well, we were going to sort of get a live show together that, that I pulled out of in a very rude way. I went, I'm not doing this. Goodbye. Pretty different, isn't it? I wouldn't give him money. <laughs> yes, that's, yes. I, I was cutting broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're asking too much. And then I nicked half of your cast for my. You did. You uh, our, our sketch show thing proved a, a good casting ground for. And that was Leanne again because she recommended. I asked. She recommended Jane, uh, Joy, Amy, and then James Amy. came to watch that oh, show and then you got speaking to James afterwards and then you don't know my life better than I do that's right that's, that's good I'm, I'm <laughs> because I'm bitter <laughs> you stole all my cast <laughs> my unique selling points have been stolen well I gave them stuff with no script so that's the only reason they came over because they went yeah, maybe that's where been going wrong it was a big success your sketch show we must point this out on the uh, on the podcast on the it, it did podcast. do well and, uh, having Nick having stolen your cast for my improv comedy show team thing 
um, off the cuff. Uh, we did a we did a specific James Bond theatre evening where we tried to improv through every film, which was probably a mistake because some of the cast <laughs> I've never seen a Bond. No, we had, we had a we had a night where we had to come around and talk about Bond. Some were massively mired in Bond, and others were struggling, and uh, which led to a brilliant moment in the uh, in the show where we were doing there's a thing called um, director's commentary where we were showing a clip of a Pierce Brosnan. Uh, I think it was uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, and we were pretending to be the actors talking as if in a director's commentary but one of the people <laughs> thought they were supposed to be dubbing the, uh, <laughs> dubbing new dialogue over so she, she was talking as if she was in the film and the rest of us were talking about the film which <laughs> the audience were going I don't quite uh, is this supposed to be funny I don't, this is avant-garde I'm not sure um, and so yeah that, that down these Cheltenham types <laughs> <laughs> they should have gone with that, shouldn't they? This is just, I say that failed. It didn't fail. That bit of the show it, failed. Raising money for UNICEF. So. Yeah, but Roger Moore wouldn't take part, which we were very disappointed by. Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. <laughs> yes. This is your life. <laughs> uh, what my favourite non? Oh, what, his character. His, his, his performance as Bond. Yeah, um, his performance as Bond is just is just brilliant, isn't it? Because it just totally um, harpoons what went before and just sort of. Uh, leaves it kicking and screaming at the side of the cinema screen and just suddenly becomes I am this is a new Bond this is definitely how I'm going to play it and uh, and I think the fact that he he in interviews goes on about I wanted to go back to the Fleming Bond because the weird thing is I don't think the majority of people that go and watch James Bond at the cinema necessarily abide you know the books aren't their yeah. bible um, but to him it was, and that was, you know, he just literally went, well, I'm going to do what was on the page. And uh, I think he was exactly what they needed at that point. I think Pierce Brosnan would have been wrong. I think if Pierce Brosnan had taken it, they would have carried on in the Roger Moore template. Yeah. Obviously yeah. with the Pierce Brosnan twist, but... Because, I mean, if you watch Do It With Pierce Brosnan in a minute, but... Um, would his, we? We will. <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast, that's what I'm saying. His, his sort of sway more towards the Roger Moore tendencies towards the end. Yeah. But I think um, I think Dalton was what it needed. The audience were ready for him, uh, which sadly I don't think they were. I think... Yeah. Certainly, license to kill, which I love, license to kill. I will defend it to the hilt. Yeah, no, license to kill is a great, is a great sort of non-bond film. What people say, but it isn't really non-bond at all. And um, I just think it's one of those films that deserves a lot more credit than it got. I think I think it's pretty much pitch perfect with regard to performances. They got the villain yeah. perfectly spot on. That's true. It's a rare bond film in that you have two bond girls that both make it to the end. <laughs> yes, and uh, and it, but it should have kept license revoked as its title because that's a much better title than License to Well, it's not a much better title, but the fact that he actually has his License to Kill taken away... Yeah, like License is, to Kill is... It's sort of a bit of a non... Unless it's ironic. <laughs> yes, no. Mm, license to Kill. But you haven't got it, Mr Bond. I love the, the scene with um, when he's with M, getting very angry and... Uh, Hemingway's house. Yeah, and saying, I'm going to take take away your license to kill um, that's just that's a really good that's a that's a really good scene between I think the, how his bond was and, and his sort of relationship with them I think that was a good it's it's something that comes from the books as well I think of a bond that doesn't want to be bond yeah sort of comes across a lot it comes across a little bit in the living daylights yeah and then comes across a lot more in license to kill that whole exchange with them is genius with the, uh, we're not it's a true. country club double oh seven <laughs> I guess this is a farewell to arms. Yeah, no, it's a good. It's a very good. And my my favourite line for taking a photo comes from License to Kill. And I like to point a camera at somebody and go, "Watch the birdie, you bastard." <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I'm not a wedding photographer. All <laughs> <laughs> <Or> christenings. <laughs> that would be a great tagline for your website, wouldn't it? <laughs> and he has the, the most bizarre line, which is about being a. Uh, 
a problem eliminator. Yeah. Which I thought was a very... I love that exchange as well. It is a good exchange, but it's a, it's a bizarre line. So, um, yeah, no, he's... he's... I, I like his delivery of it, because he really goes into the more of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's very good. Uh, it's, I, it's sort of a shame that he never carried on, because... Uh, I think that's one of my two biggest Bond travesties, is that yeah. he never got to do Goldeneye at the time when he was supposed to do Goldeneye. I don't yeah. think he was right to bring it back in the 90s. No, but if it had... As much as I love him, I don't think it would have been a wise thing to reboot the yeah. series with Dalton. No. And I like License to Kill sort of has a nice end feeling to it. If that was yeah. the last Bond, because he sort of... You don't know whether he's going to go back to MI6 or not. Yeah, Lighter says that <clears throat> M's been trying to get in touch with him. The only thing that does bother me about that is Lighter seems surprisingly chipper considering his wife is dead. <laughs> 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 I've lost a leg. But I'm M's right. been looking for you. <laughs> I'm going to chat on the phone. You can enjoy your party. <laughs> yeah, yeah I hadn't thought about that, but that's very true. He is incredibly... But he, he doesn't seem to have the same grieving period that uh, Dalton has. No. But another thing, I, I mean, I said it in my review, that I like is it's not so much Bond avenging Lighter and Lighter's wife, it's him still avenging Tracy as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. He, he finally gets the revenge that he wanted. We should probably point out that uh, our reviews are at... Where is it? Coltbritannia.co.uk. Yeah, just... Which is how we sort of mutually you brought me in on those... Well, that was we had to review most of the Bond back catalogue just before the arrival of Skyfall, and so we, I basically gave Stuart most of the work. <laughs> Go on, you do all of them. Apart which from I enjoyed, apart from the Living Daylights. Yeah, because, right. Which was the first one I did, but because yeah. it's a film that I like, but I'm aware that there are problems with it. Yeah. I think I couldn't find the balance between fawning right. over and being critical. So it's kind of like, <laughs> I really like this, but then they do this. Writing reviews is a weird thing because I always come at it way too critical. So, although I like, like a view to a kill, which is a, which is a, like a guilty pleasure. Um, I try. I that was the only one where I tried to be a bit sort of foot off the pedal and try not to be too harsh about it because if you're looking at it through the eyes of somebody who's 12 to 15 who, you know, massively loves yeah. The View to a Kill, then that's great. But if you're looking at it when you're a lot older, which I am now, then obviously you just go, yeah, some of it's not very good. But um, So you have to have that balance between how you felt when you saw it and how you feel 20 or 15 to 20 years later when you're, you know, miserable and, um, <laughs> and critical <laughs> about everything in life. And... Uh, so that's the that's the weird thing about reviewing Bond films, having seen them when you were younger. Um, I think it's easier if you hate a film. Yeah. Especially if you can be funny about it as well. Yeah, that's true, yeah. But I'm always cautious of... I, I've dabbled at being a filmmaker as well. Yes. I find it difficult to overly criticise anybody because at least they got a film made. <laughs> unless it's White Chicks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got two or films. Sex in the City too. So. I think we are now on to Pierce Brosnan, which, like I said, I think he was the right man for the job. At that time. Yeah. And I think he was a very good Bond. He's an amalgamation, as so many people say, of, of Connery and Moore, isn't he, really? I think a... he's got sort of traits of all four that yeah. came before him. He's got yeah. the sensitivity of Lazenby and yeah. the sort of cold harshness of Dalton, which I think all come... His best of performance is when he's sitting in the hotel room in Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm waiting for Terry Hatcher, and then when he goes back and finds her dead. Spoiler. Yeah. I couldn't get past the, there's that initial smugness. <laughs> first problem that that is my problem. It, I mean, that's everybody raves about Goldeneye being his best, and mm. I find Goldeneye to be an incredibly smug film. It is a bit, isn't it? He pouts more than Daniel Craig as well, which is quite almost impossible. I suppose it's to be expected in that he's been waiting <laughs> yes, <I laughs> over a, a decade for, to become Bond since uh, <laughs> Your Eyes Only. And, uh, and I, it's quite a nice touch that they set the... Credits bit nine years before Goldeneye, that's putting him 
Although yeah. it also also borderline insulting in that are they saying that Timothy Dalton never happened? <laughs> we start with Brosnan in eighty seven and then <laughs> We've erased him from history. Um yeah. I mean that a... always seems to be the thing with Timothy Dalton though, his you never see him he's very rarely on the cover, and even if he is on the cover of something <laughs> I mean I'm amazed they put him on the cover of his own Bond film. There was a certain <laughs> thing where either NGM or Eon were ashamed of him. Yeah, it's weird. There's always it? him and Lazenby in the dark or in the background or <laughs> I mean I get that you're gonna have your most yeah. Recent Bond, first and foremost, because that's your selling thing. But I can understand sort of Lazenby being pushed back, considering he, he sort of fought um, with everyone. But as far as I'm aware, Timothy Dalton left on very, very good terms, and and they said to be all fine. So it's, I think it's because he did too. Yeah, and I think there's a certain like that magic thing of third. that being a failure. I, I think Tomorrow Never Dies is my favourite Brosnan. So I mean, it was I the first one I saw at the cinema, so I got I that, and I remember being incredibly jealous because I went with my friend to the cinema where we were watching different films. I can't remember what he went to watch. I know I went to watch One Fine Day, and I wasn't willing to go with another man to watch One Fine Day, but I did really <laughs> want to watch it because I like cleaning. <laughs> but Sorry. yeah, and he went to watch the film. He went to watch the Tomorrow Never Dies trailer for it, and this is pre-internet right. or pre-every home having internet, pre the days where you could watch it. Video online in five minutes, not have to wait four yeah. days for it to buffer. So you were incredibly jealous of him. I was incredibly jealous, but and then New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety-seven, I went to watch Twilight Never Dies at the cinema. Right, it's short. I, it's interesting how they play the beginning by not showing him. They yeah. play it as they do when they are introducing a new Bond actor of not showing his face. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they kind of redeveloped his character a little bit as well. They did away with the mullet and the yes. stubble with no explanation. No, <laughs> just uh, yeah, he wanted a shorter. Hand That's what I like about Goldeneye. Is in the beginning, it's nine years before he's got the mullet and the stubble. Then nine years later, he's still rocking the same look. <laughs> then two years after that, for Tomorrow Never Dies, he's just. That's enough. He's totally, yeah. I'm having short hair. I've had this look for 11 years. <laughs> and then you've got The World's Not Enough. That's quite, I quite like that. I like The World's Not Enough. There's problems with it. Denise like, Richards. Yes, yes, that is the big flaw. Or the two big flaws. And it's, it's, um, no, and it's the first sort of film that brings Emma a bit more to the foreground, making her part of the story. Yeah, that's true. Which I have mixed feelings about that. It's a bit strange. I suppose when you cast it, you don't... That's just it. If you've got something like... <laughs> you technically have to use it. But then they had Bernard Lee... <laughs> He was brilliant, yeah. And to be fair to Robert Brown, he was very good as M as well. That's very true. Then you've got Die Another Day, <laughs> which does have my favourite Bond girl in it. Does not it? so much for her thing, but just because it's Rosalind Pike. Die Another Day is just um, just not right, is it? it, it my really... biggest problem with Die Another Day is they should have switched out who was the bad guy. Yeah. Instead of it being Rosamund Pike, I think it should have been a double bluff of Rosamund Pike and Halle Berry turned out to be the... Ah, there you go, that would have been good. Um, and because Halle Berry's awful. Yes, we, uh, she is not good, is she? For being tempted as the first Bond girl to have a spin-off, which well, they did it for um, Michelle Yeoh in Tomorrow Never Dies. They were going to give yeah, her a spin-off, but like it seems to be every few films they're like, "We should give this person a spin-off," <laughs> but it, it never happens, and I don't think it ever would. No, and they gave Pierce Brosnan the spin-off in the sense that they said, "You can't be Bond anymore after another day." Which again, I think, is another big sort of missed opportunity. I would love to have seen a Pierce Brosnan Casino Royale. I'd love yeah. to see a version of Casino Royale where it's an older Bond. Well, who's so complacent in his role yeah. that he makes the mistakes. Yeah. So instead of the arrogance of youth, it's the arrogance of experience. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that would have been interesting. I think Piers Brosnan delivering the uh, the job's done and the bitch is dead, and then the film ends there, and everybody would be like, oh, it's fucking bleak, isn't it? <laughs> I feel really miserable. <laughs> what are you doing, Piers? Bring your pout back. But the emo kid in me would have been like... <laughs> and that would have been a great way to end it, and then do Casino Royale yeah. with Daniel Craig. And reboot it. Well, I, don't, I don't want to see a Tarantino Casino Royale. No, I, I don't. Yeah, that would have been because it would have been Tarantino's Casino Royale rather. Than, yeah, I, I think on the whole, Brosnan's a very good Bond, serviced by bad scripts. Yeah, well, not bad scripts because, like I say, even a bad Bond film's better than a lot of. Even Die Another Day, I get what they were trying to do. They just fluffed it completely. 
I think the biggest problem with Diana the other day is they completely undo all the good work they did with Money Penny because you've got the Caroline Bliss Money Penny and the two Dalton ones. It's very sort of she collects Bond's hair after he's had a shower and keeps his wet towels at home. And has got a little Bond shrine. She's, they kind of take her a little bit too stalkery, yeah. doe-eyed, and then they do the Samantha Bond thing, which I think was a pitch-perfect money pay. Yeah, she's really good, isn't she? She's probably the best. Inside, but then they, you get to talk, uh, die another day, and it's like she's using the uh, simulator thing to cop off with him. <laughs> it's it's all gone back about 60 years. Yeah, that's not good. Bond coming in and just smacking her on the ass was the only thing that was missing. <laughs> yeah, so he sort of got bumped off. They said, you can't do another one, basically. I, I, I kind of see the, why they wanted to go that way. I think Die Another Day did as well as it did more because it was the 40th anniversary than it was a good film. Toby Stevens, see, he... Toby been, Stevens was very good. I think he would have been he'd have a potentially been good Bond. Sort of a 1960s-esque Bond, I was thought he would, he would have done very well. But potentially apart, a bit smarmy, but... Yeah, no, he's, um... What was it? Colonel Sun Moon or something. Yeah, yeah. Colonel Moon, wasn't it? Colonel Which Moon. Is a backward reference to Colonel Sun. Yes. I just added the sun in just because <laughs> he was the son of... The general, so that's fine. <laughs> but it, it certainly embraced its ridiculousness. It, it just misfired on wanting to celebrate 40 years it's instead of being yeah. its own film. It has all the elements, but they're just not right. It's too in-your-face. It's very Roger Moore, without the charm of Adam Roger Moore. <laughs> yeah, I know, they were saying what they were talking about, they might have Roger Moore and Sean Connery cameo. It's been rumours for a long time. Um, a magazine that no longer exists, that used to be called Film Review, ran a story that they'd witnessed a scene with Pierce Brosnan in the airport meeting up with right. Sean Connery, who was his father. This probably won't appear in the final film, but we saw it. It's like, <laughs> the fact you put this probably won't appear in the final film makes me think this whole article is bullshit. <laughs> Classic journalism. Yeah. But um, it would have been a horrible idea as well, yeah. because Bond's parents are dead. That's the key thing at Bond's character. Oh, yeah, definitely. Is that he's an orphan. I mean, the great thing about Brosnan as Bond is it did give us the Thomas Crown affair. Which is great. Which is easily his best yeah. although I think he's very good in The Matador as well yeah that's just that's very very non-bond and the Taylor Panama because yeah. Brosnan's weird he did this had this whole thing in his career where he was Bond but was rebelling against being Bond yeah that's true in that's... a slightly more subtle way than Lazenby did <laughs> <laughs> by taking very non-bond parts that's the mark of him that he just wanted to make sure that he had a career after Bond which which he still has although nearly not have after Mamma Mia which was a Yes. Hilarious. But, um, the wife wanted to see that, so I agreed to go with her because I was morbidly curious about seeing Pierce Brosnan sing. <laughs> it, it remains morbid, but he's no longer curious. Yeah. He doesn't really sing, as he just shouts at, <laughs> at whoever he's singing at. Because he does song. SOS, which is an Abba song that I like. <laughs> but he just, if he had stayed on as Bond, I'm pretty sure Mamma Mia would have put yeah. the nail in that coffin anyway. Well, that could have been the old musical Bond. That could have been, that would have been interesting. Breaking into song every five minutes. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you! That's really a shame. Like that. I don't know that. Um, so, and then Daniel Craig. And then Daniel Craig, the, then the, Daniel the most Craig. controversial Bond in oh, the world ever, yeah. according to the uh, James Bland Craig Not Bond websites. And, what mean, did you... Everybody says it now, but I yeah. genuinely was behind the cast of Daniel Craig. I thought it was quite inspired, considering... I was going to ask what you actually felt at the time, being honest. I... I was I was more annoyed that it was going to be a reboot. Yeah. Because I was kind of... I was annoyed at what does that mean for the franchise? Yeah, does this mean these previous years I've invested are worth nothing now? <laughs> Just wiping the slate clean, yeah. you bastards! I, d- I wasn't I wasn't convinced when they cast him. I was thinking, uh, no, before all the ha- hassle of people 
shouting he's blonde and he's bland and all that sort of stuff. I just thought he was wrong. But then I, I hadn't seen him in anything previously apart from Tomb Raider 2, I think, wasn't it? Or Tomb Raider 1. I he was in the first Tomb Raider because I've yes. seen that. I've not seen the second one. So. Yes. So, so, well, you might have seen the second one. I've not seen it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he's he's another one that, because he's quite young in Tomb Raider and he's quite young in Road to Perdition and he does not look no. like Bond. Well, not he, even the way I imagined. In Casino Royale, he looks like I pictured Bond would look yeah. sort of a pit bull of a man. Yeah. Layer cake, which you've got the very on-the-nose Bond bit where he's walking around his apartment right. with a gun like he's yeah. James Bond. I was going, he looked quite cool doing the pose, to be fair. <laughs> and then I'd seen Enduring Love, I'll which is that. probably the most non-Bond film you can see, but there was just something about him that <laughs> I thought would play quite well as doing the Casino Royale story, because I'm a big fan of the book. Yeah. There was something in his character in Enduring Love that would play quite nicely. That's good, though. I think that's a good that you were behind it, because that's some... Um... Because I wasn't. I just thought, no, this is wrong. Why didn't they go for Hugh Jackman or something? But some I've got, kind of got a theory that I'll never touch another Australian as Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Ever again, whether they like Lazenby in-house or not. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, so I would, because there was a lot of talk of young Bonds, weren't there? there were quite a few very young like, people yeah, in the front. Yeah, um, Henry Cavill was considered yeah. at one point. I think that would have been a mistake, really, going to... I think Bond needs to be of a certain age. Yeah. I think if you go any younger than 35, you're going to, well, you're in danger of the James Bond Jr. cartoon series. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so what was your favourite non-Bond? You've seen a lot of, I've, I've hardly seen any Daniel Craig films where he's not Bond. I went through a phase of if Empire recommended it, I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to live your life. So, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got so many DVDs. <laughs> I think he's very good as Bond. I think. What's Cowboys and Aliens like? I've not. I really like Cowboys and Aliens. It's not a good film, but I really enjoyed it. It's not as bad as everybody made it out to be. I think if you go in with low expectations, then you're all right. Then you're all right, but (laughs) that doesn't always work. Transformers Three, for example. So, what's the difference, Claire, between Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig? Apart from the hair colour. Yeah. What do you like more and less? One's called Daniel. This (laughs) is a time to mention that none of us have seen a Bond film. Lindsay Lohan still. Um. <laughs> she would have been a great She'd bond. be a great bond. She'd, yeah. She's got the drinking down path. <laughs> I like Daniel Craig, but he doesn't feel like Bond to me. Right. Like, I mean, I'd, obviously, I haven't watched all the other Bonds, so the only Bond I know is Pierce Brosnan, really. <laughs> it's quite a change. <laughs> I'm a bit of a Pierce Brosnan fanboy, just for the fact that I've only watched his films. Um, that, that is kind of the problem with Daniel Craig's Bond films, though, is that they're not really Bond films. They don't have the classic elements. No. There's, until Skyfall, at least, there's no queue. There's yeah. Skyfall, spoiler warning, there's no money penny until Skyfall. Yeah, he brings the, yeah Skyfall. There's, there's no consistency in the MI6 building. <laughs> M's office just seems to keep moving, which I suppose, yeah. if they, you're going to blow her office up. Yeah. Yeah. Weird, but I think it's too modern. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that does make sense. I think the biggest problem with the Daniel Craig ones is they're too influenced, particularly Quantum of Solace, by the Jason Bourne film. Yeah, they keep saying they're not, but they definitely are. It's just a, a oh, Quantum of Solace, the motorbike jump onto the boat is straight out of a Bourne yeah, film. Yeah, Which, that... and I think Jason Bourne sort of earned the right to take the mantle. Yeah, Bond had gone dormant for four or five years. Jason Bourne came in in his place and sort of reinvented it. But I, it's never a thing for Bond to follow. Bond leads and other fo- others follow. Yeah, I think um, yeah, Quantum of Solace was very Bourne-like, but the rest... well, even with having Bond now on his own. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. But the rest of them haven't. 
I think after I think Skyfall's vaguely resisted the urge to be to be like the first two. Yeah, see, I didn't like Skyfall the first time I watched it. I enjoyed right. it a lot more the second time. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I have a major problem with the gun barrel being at the end. If the yeah. film doesn't open with the gun barrel, I'm already in a bad mood against it. <laughs> I let it slide with Casino Royale because they sort of found a way to work it in. Right. And I think that opening black and white scene of Casino Royale is one of my favourite. That's a good scene. Great yeah. scenes. Yeah, attack the attack in the toilets. Well, it's more the sitting down the dialogue oh, thing. Right, that's the action, yeah. just the. Uh, that whole exchange I really like. I'm a big fan of the West Wing, so I like people either sitting in chairs talking or walking along corridors talking. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they're talking. Actual dialogue, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's, I really like Skyfall simply because I didn't really like the last two. I didn't like Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace that much. So I really like Casino Royale. I liked Casino Royale more than I thought it would, considering yeah. that it didn't have any of the Bond elements in it. But I think those are the sort of films that, if you don't like them, which I didn't, when you go back and watch them again, they're actually... Yeah, because Quantum of Solace was, was terrible when I first watched I went to the cinema to watch it as a research thing because we were writing the, a James Bond proper full-length theatre spoof. I thought, oh, we'll just include a couple of gags at the end because it was just at the time it was coming out. And I felt... Uh, well, my wife fell asleep in it and myself and Ron, the co-writer, came out with nothing on our like, notepads going... And that was a terrible film. And then it, it was I, just a nothing film. Yeah. There's well, nothing in it that particularly stands out, apart from Gemma Arterton covered in oil... Yeah, which is harking back to... There's, there's nothing in it that stands no, out as a... I mean, all... the chase at the beginning is incredibly messy. There's no big action pieces. I quite like the bit where they're at the opera, yeah. and that's how Quantum sort of meet up and have their meetings. That's and then nice Bond interjects. But then there's the whole thing where he throws the bodyguard off the thing onto the Bond at the Green's car, and Green has him shot. Yeah. And then they blame Bond for it. At no point is Bond like, I can fucking shoot him. <laughs> I pushed him off the building, but he was fine. <laughs> yeah, he just he basically just tries to kill everybody in Quantum Solace before talking to them. Um, that's what, that was my big deal with it. He just he doesn't really. He's not trying to interrogate or anything. He just is killing people. It's a film that had a better trailer than an actual film. But I like the title. I'm one of the few people that actually really like the title of Quantum of Solace. It's a good title. Yeah. But I'm also very fond of the word solace. It's one of those words that I really like to That's good, yeah. say and never get to use. No, I can. Because... You can. <laughs> I like the word quantum, and I know for a fact that Claire likes the word of. So, um, so well, we're all right. We're, we're I've just okay written a film for Claire as well called Solace. What were they? What What do you think they'll um, call the next one if they have to use a fl- what, what flaming titles are left? That's hardly any. So. Risco, uh, property of a lady, Risco, and 007 in New York, which would be an awful title. <laughs> no, they should definitely use. They that. should do it, and the poster should be just a postcard picture, <laughs> <laughs> just like the statue, or a be... photo of Bond doing with his thumbs up. <laughs> With they, a big I love New York hat They could just have a travel log. That'd be brilliant. Just him on holiday doing nothing. But like they recast him as Michael Palin. <laughs> I don't I don't know where they're going to go next. I'm hoping they're going to go... Certainly the end sort of points towards them going back to the traditional Lem office from 62 up to... The leather interiors. Or the leather doors. That's right. Because I think the Brosnan ones are the ones that age the least well. Because they're yeah. so 90s. Yeah, they are a bit. <laughs> certainly Goldeneye as well. M's office. It's yeah. horrible. <laughs> yeah, no. It's like, in 95, it looked really up-to-date, and it's like the next generation Enterprise set. Got, got, that looked really up-to-date, and now you look at it, you're like, that is so 80s, it's horrible. <laughs> there's, there's nothing timeless about it, whereas the old Bond's M set, yeah. and now at the end of Skyfall, it looks very dated, but there's something comforting about it yeah, that no. you kind of makes it timeless. I think we should do a podcast on interior decoration in Bond <laughs> films. I, I think it was a clever move to, to sort of go back to the tropes of the, the, the normal sort of Bond films right at the end, because it pleased everybody that likes the old Bond films and were uncertain about the Daniel Craig ones, but also you know that, okay, 
okay, well, they're, they're now honouring the tra tradition again and have gone sort of back to, well, hopefully have gone back to doing, to doing what they used to do, but with a modern edge. But um, I thought uh, Klaus Pop was really good about them being too modern. I think that's quite, sort of, Bond lives in a timeless world. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, they're trying to fit it in with, well, sort of current affairs. That's a good point. There's, you know, you can have... Uh, that again is Jason Bourne, isn't it? It's just, yeah, it's, it's very much a spy of the times. Yeah, spy of the times. Damn you! The, the only non-Bond person here says the most insightful thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. From what I understand, producers have a very short life expectancy, <laughs> <laughs> so our mistake will be short-lived. <laughs> what, what did you think of the portrayal of Money Penny in Skyfall? Did you need a Money Penny backstory? Uh, no, not really. Does Money Penny need to be a tough form of field? I, I quite like the backlash against it, that it was kind of like, oh, yeah, you let a woman out into the field, she makes one mistake. No, she's just a secretary. <laughs> yes, a secretary. Fetch the, the files. <laughs> that's very true. I've not considered that. that. I think it might have been Charlie Rooker. That is just, that's a very good point, yeah. In Skyfall, I thought he was, he was actually I very I thought engaging. Skyfall gave him the most to, yeah. to do since, because, I mean, he has moments in Casino Royale. yeah. I mean, Casino Royale's a tricky bond to play anyway. Yeah, definitely, yeah. But, um, the weird thing about Casino Royale is, I, in my head, it's all black and white, even though it wasn't. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I'm sure it was all black and white. So what, what did you think about Mendes as the director? I should, it, should the director be a bigger name than the film? Or? Um, yeah, in that case, definitely, because I think he brought a massive amount to that film. I think that's what... Yeah. Everybody says about Christopher Nolan should be... Yeah, I don't know. Christ- I think it would be... Become a parody of, of Bond. I'm of the opinion that if you like Bond that much and you reference it so much in your films that you shouldn't be allowed near a Bond film. Yeah. Then you just end up being a massive parody of, of Bond. And Mendes was a good choice because of him coming from a... Not that he wasn't a fan, but not you know not ever saying, oh yeah, I love Gentleman, I've referenced it loads through my films. And, and coming from the fact that he, he was good friends with Daniel Craig, had worked with Daniel Craig before. Comes so, very against Daniel Craig being cast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which was good, because that, obviously that meant that he, he brought something out, which I think is why Daniel Craig is better in that film than he is in the first two, because he's just, I suppose, he's more trusting of, of his director and, and knowing that, uh, that you know, he can, he can do stuff that, that he wants to do. So, um, yeah, I think Sam Mendes was good. I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite sad that he's passed on the, the next one because of his theatre commitments and stuff. I, I imagine they will try and get him back at some point. I am... Um... Although, although, you know, the big thing is, oh, yeah, it made loads of money and it's a massive... What was it, the biggest bomb film ever? Again, it falls on an anniversary year. The previous biggest Bond ever was Die Another Day, which fell on 40th. Uh, so is it, is it that? the anniversary factor as much as... Right. Well, I mean, to be fair, my mum watched Skyfall and she doesn't really like Bond films. Oh, right, there you go. But, I mean, she came with me to watch Everything or Nothing because she was driving. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought it'd be mean to make her sit in the car while I went to watch the film. <laughs> but And she enjoyed it. And she, I mean, she likes Bond films, but she'd never gone out of her way to watch a Bond film. That's it's always been a, if it's on telly, I'll watch it sort of thing. I think right. Skyfall sort of reached to a non Bond audience because it's a very non Bond film. I think everything I hated about Skyfall the first time is what I love about it the second time, with right. the exception of get the gun barrel back in the right place. That's going to be a stickler for you, isn't it? Well, if they do that in the next one, they might put it in the middle of the film. I think if they do it in one more film, that's going to be where it stays from now on. Yeah. But I don't think a Bond film should open cold. No. It's, it, that's what makes it stand out as a Bond film. Didn't help Quantum of Solace at all. Because no. <laughs> Quantum of Solace, I didn't have the gun barrel at the beginning, and I was like, yeah, this is. Well, not making me happy, and then it was just dreadful. Yeah, it didn't even have the gun barrel at the beginning to put me in a good mood. 
To be fair, nothing helps Quantum of Solace. I quite like the last scene. In fact, I'd much rather Quantum of Solace was a short film that was just him going down and confronting Vesper's boyfriend and then that exchange with them at the end. It's got an awful theme song as well, but we should do Bond music at a later date. Yes. Because we're running out of time. Just quickly with Skyfall as well, what do you think of the portrayal of Q? Um, I quite liked that they skewed it young. I thought that was quite a good idea, being as Bond is noticeably older. Daniel Craig has that proper cragginess now where he does actually look his age. So I thought it was quite good that they went a bit sort of techy nerd. But it had switched the roles basically, hadn't it? Because obviously Q was normally older and and looked down on on Bond. I thought it was a nice sort of switch. So... um, yeah, well, it's, uh, I don't really have any opinions on, is it Ben White, White Shaw? Or yeah, Wishaw. Or Wishaw, I think. Yeah, I don't think he was good or bad. I just thought that it was quite nice that they switched. I, the... I thought it was an interesting take. Again, I'd like to see more gadgets. I know yeah. that they keep making the argument of what gadgets can you have that you can't get on an iPhone. <laughs> Thus far, I've not seen anybody be electrocuted with an iPhone so, or open a lock. <laughs> Yeah, there'll be an app for that at some point. But... <laughs> I, I do like the gadgets. I like the exploding pens. Yeah. I like the... Uh, I think they went right by going younger, because otherwise you're in danger of doing John Cleese sort of territory. Which I didn't yeah. dislike John Cleese. It's just... Yeah. It made for a very different... It, it kind of ruined the whole Desmond Llewellyn's last scene. Yes, it did. Because yeah. you had that fantastic standout, you know, always have an escape plan, disappears into the thing. But also in the background, you've got John Cleese in an inflatable coat rolling around, especially knowing that Desmond Llewellyn died shortly afterwards yeah. as well. But I always thought that Michael Kitchen would have been a very good cue. Yeah, he'd have been excellent. Yeah, he would have been excellent. You're right. Yeah, John Cleese was a, was a weird choice. I think it was a weird choice just because he was so he's so recognisable. He'll always be John Cleese. Yeah. is the problem. I mean, I quite liked his grapey sort of utter contempt for James Bond. Mm. There wasn't even the warmth towards him that uh, Desmond Llewellyn's <laughs> cue had. But yes, uh, yeah, no, Skyfall's good. Quite nice sort of. Ra- if it stopped completely there, yeah, there was never another Bond film. Well, you could kind of then go and watch Doctor No, yeah. and go from works. there. Um, but I like I like Ray Fiennes as M. Yeah, he's, he's, part of me wondered how many films would Ray Fiennes commit to because he's quite a big yeah. name. But then I was kind of like, if you're getting that paycheck for coming in for a couple of days, Anything. I mean, I don't want them to keep putting him out in the field. And M belongs behind a desk. I don't want to say it's sexist, but Money Penny belongs behind a desk as well. Yeah, well, that is the that is the quintessential role. I think that uh, Ray Fiennes, if he Signed up for enough Harry Potters, he's not going to worry about doing the odds. Well, like I say, it's, it's, it's a regular paycheck as <laughs> yeah. well, so you can go off and do a, whichever Shakespeare film you want to readapt this time or whatever. I, I think the future's looking bright for Bond. I think Bond's going to get back to being Bond now, because we've had two Daniel Craig, three Daniel Craig ones where he's not Bond. We've had a, one where he, he's not quite Bond yet, and then Skyfall <laughs> where he, he wasn't Bond, he was Bond, but now he's sort of a little bit past it. Yeah. See, that's the other trouble, is you can't play his age up too much. Yeah, that's always, true, yeah. When you bring in the next guy, he's going to have to be at least 60. <laughs> <laughs> which apparently we're going to have to wait potentially three years for the next Bond one oh, right. which is Craig signed up for five he'll be entering Roger Water I, I kind of missed the whole thing of it being every other year yeah I think that should sort of wrap it up for this first one in the next one we should be more specific on we should be generally more specific on films and music and this first one's just a general overview uh, we'll set up a Facebook page for it you can like it and see photos of our weird Pierce Brosnan figure and it is a bomb goodbye from me uh, and me as well I'm actually going to stay here for the rest of the day but, um, <laughs> but nobody's recording me so it's fine <laughs> cheerio or so he thinks um, this has been a showcase production produced by Claire Carpenter and that is it for this one. Thanks for listening. Bye.